So welcome to the CBGS podcast. Delighted to say that we are back once again with another edition of the podcast. Paul is in the studio with me and um, looking mighty fine this morning, Paul. I oh, you're such a creep, you. aren't you? I know. And I, I, I'm not, do you know what? I'm not that person. I'm really not that person <laughs> who's, um, who's a bit sort of like trying to, oh yeah, you look really nice. But you, do, you, you came in and you had a sort of an aura about you. It was, it was um, and you mentioned you've been to the gym and I, I thought, yeah, you do look like you've been in the gym this week. <laughs> I don't know. Once, once, for once in my life, taken taken aback there. So, um, some of you will know that um, I had a bit of an instance in the gym last year, having uh, never missed a Friday for for years, uh, sacrosanct, and I uh, uh, had a massive, uh, like un- unbelievable tummy pain uh, in July last year, and um, uh, and I haven't dared to go back since. You know, because it's funny how you so associate the gym with with great pain. You see. So I, I managed to drag myself back two Sundays ago for my first session since July. And, 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 and I think it's always good to share um, experiences with other people. I'm going to admit this. I, I actually had a panic attack in my car leaving the house on the way to the gym. Uh, I, I actually looked like I'd had a training session before I even started, to be honest with you, because I was so apprehensive about what was going to happen. So the first session was... Um, Unsettling, I'd say, would be a would be a word I would use. I walked out feeling quite despondent, and um, anyway, uh, I sat there and I thought, well, you know, mustn't let this beat me. So um, the Sunday that's just gone was my second session, and that was um, probably ten percent better than the first week. And um, and what's interesting, I've decided finally at the age of sixty that. Uh, uh, that trying to be the best person in the world probably isn't a good idea if I want to live for for another thirty years. So I've um, I've actually uh, for the first time in my life actually um, my routine now mostly consists of doing circuits. So yesterday, for instance, I did uh, the equivalent of ten thousand stone of lifting. Wow! Just to put the perspective, you know, because I am exceedingly strong if I do say so myself. Um, so uh, I'm doing a massive amount and, and just basically doing cycling and, um, and circuits. So Sunday was a bit better. And yesterday, as I said to Ben, um, I actually left the gym feeling like an old athlete, not, uh, not a worried person with a condition, if that's a way of putting it. Yeah, I really like that phrase, an old athlete. That's an yeah, experienced like a, athlete. A guy that was very good who, who uh, was older, but nonetheless, you know... Um, could could hold his own and and you know I'm starting. It's it's quite interesting. You know we 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 need to do a session at some time, Ben. About um, I've actually written a chapter in my third book about the prob- problem troubles I've had um, with panic attacks, particularly when it comes to driving, um, and how I how I resolve those very successfully, which I think is is um, great credit to my strength of character actually. But I think one of the things that people don't do enough is um, people. I think, you know, when you actually do share with people and you ask people, you know, whether, for instance, they've had experiences of anxiety or, or um, panic when they're driving, practically everyone says they have. And then, of course, you get people saying that perhaps even, you know, friends of mine who've said they've had, they've had instances where they've actually had to stop the car and get out. Yeah. You know, and, and literally not be able to drive anymore, you know, things like that. So... Um, it, it's amazing, you know, there's no doubt that, for instance, my gym story, so this was my third session of, of my comeback, um, 
And I would say that my anxiety was 90% less than the first one. That's excellent. So I actually walked into the gym a bit like, this is my, this is my place, you know, as opposed to, fuck, you know, sorry. <laughs> you know, We're allowed on podcasts, you know, it's fine. This is, this, is, this is not a place, this is not the place my brain wants me to be in, you know. Um, so it is, it is a, a brain is a very amazing thing, how we associate negative memories with, um, you know, you associate a place with negative memories and, 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 and they do come back and it's, uh, but there, I, I, we will talk about this. So I, have, I have myself proven that with the right attitude and determination, you can actually win. Yeah, I think, I think this is a really interesting topic and having suffered with anxiety in the past as well i think we produce a really good podcast on it so we, we will definitely come back to it and just in just on one point on what you were saying it's that is definitely something that repetition repetition that you're you're taught if you have a panic attack in a certain place you need to go back there straight away you need to go back there again absolutely. and back there again absolutely right and it's so uh, yeah so that'll be uh, that'll be really good we'll do that in a future week on the podcast today actually speaking of anxieties and worrying we're going to talk about coronavirus and the effects on business which i've heard a little bit about on podcasts and a, f a few audio clips through the week but i'm not convinced that anybody's really given any uh, real detail and answers uh, specifically looking at businesses from small to big so i'm interested to get your thoughts on this today okay let's 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 just take a pause for a moment it's a it's a big topic now, everybody knows about coronavirus. It's, it's having a, an impact in the UK this week. It, it's said that it will have a further impact in the next few weeks. They're expecting it to, to grow and the, the, um, to go through the, the levels that the government have set. And we talk about four those levels. four levels um, in a little bit. What I, would, what I do want to do, and I mentioned this to Paul before we started the podcast, is if you want to get the correct information on the coronavirus. Do what I did yesterday. I watched a video. You'll find it on YouTube. It was um, the top professor of medicine in the country talking to ministers and tr basically informing them of, of what's right, what's wrong. And some of the questions would have been questions that you or I would want to ask him. So yeah. how, how is it going to, how is the, how is it, given to people well, what can we do to avoid it will the schools close how will we deal with this how will the nhs cope just little to big questions that i found really fascinating so do look that up on youtube i'm not sure of, of what it's called i'll try and find that between now and the end of the podcast but what we're interested in today is how it will affect business so the first question i'm going to ask paul is as a business owner how has it affected you and what has been your thought process so far uh, how how it has affected me? Well, that's that's an interesting one, I suppose. Um, As a business owner, the, temp the tempting question I could actually have said it hasn't affected me because it hasn't affected anyone really, is it? In fact, well, that's not true actually. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting. Flybee, for instance, went into administration yesterday, which was um, from a local point of view quite devastating because eighty percent of all air traffic in extra airport is Flybee. Um, so. Um, our thoughts are with our Devon, our Devon Devonian clotted cream miner cousins, um, and obviously uh, the future for airlines at the moment has to be quite bleak. Um, you know, it would be reasonable to expect massive um, a massive drop in in passenger numbers, I would imagine. So, um, and then so the glib I could have sat there and said that, well the answer is none, Ben, but that's probably not entirely true. I mean, one thing which is. Um, obviously uh, unusual about Aspen Weight, I guess, is we do have a Chinese business. Uh, and actually, um, 
it's funny, I was having a joke with JP about um, uh, misogy- misogyny uh, prior to uh, the podcast this morning. And it's funny because I, I, I think, you know, I, I would consider myself to be a very plain speaking, rather politically incorrect person. But actually, um, I think I'm actually in danger of being quite a enlightened, grown-up person now. Um, and I think my attitude towards coronavirus uh, would be quite commendable, I, I think. So if we go back several weeks now, Darren Horn, who's the chief executive of uh, China UK, uh, a Chinese business, uh, he, he'd been in China. And um, as it was, he was actually one of the first people that was... Uh, so when he came back into the UK in Bristol, he was um, uh, put into isolation in a centre somewhere near Bristol Airport, where he, where he remained for 14 days. Um, and I basically, I, I, I am about to become a, a super pop any minute now, because so, so, I'm, I'm banishing the, the word grand in front of anything. Uh, so my youngest son is about to become a father. In fact, due date is today. Um, and although this was probably three weeks ago, I, 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 I very much erred on the side of caution, so I actually sent an email to Darren saying I wasn't going to let him come into the office, which I think was very enlightened yeah. of me, you know. Yeah. Because um, I think you know, I think one of the things that will come over, hopefully, if, if you and I are like-minded about this, is one of the big lessons about coronavirus is, um, in an ideal world, if everyone behaved perfectly, nothing would happen, almost, you know. Um, and so, to some extent, you know, I've. If I had been uh, less uh, proactive and I hadn't thought about Darren Horn, then Aspen Wake could be you know, rife with coronavirus now. I'm not saying that Darren has it, by the way. I'm just saying that, you know, you only need one in a... So let's just say that one in a hundred people in Darren's situation had coronavirus, you know? So for every, you know, for, if there's a hundred of him, one, there's going to be one. So if you, you know, if you, you think about our community, you know, and then and then all the people you meet in a week and all that sort of thing. Um, so, so I was very proactive. I, I told Darren I didn't, and it's interesting now because Darren sends me texts every now and again. And obviously, one of the other things we have is, um, as well as Darren uh, being married to a Chinese Chinese national, for instance, we have Chinese employees, and also David Shearers, who's um, who's our chief in in Wales and our great uh, technical genius in Aspen Way. He has a Chinese godson, so he's godfather to a Chinese national. So uh, I do get to know more than is told on the media, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because the, the BBC doesn't tell you the truth, not because they necessarily don't want to tell you the truth, because the Chinese don't necessarily tell people the truth, whereas uh, I, I'm talking to people who actually are living in China. So without being alarmist, I, I think it would be true to say that the situation is worse than people say it is. So the position inside China is worse than the Chinese say it is. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm finding, actually, that Darren himself is... Um, I, I, and if you're listening to this, Darren, I don't mean anything by this. Darren has been surprisingly responsible in his own attitude towards this. Very much, um, can I help? Would you like me to talk to the staff about things, you know? Um, quite concerned about Emily, I'd say. You know, my daughter-in-law. Um, and making sure that she has the best chance, um, you know, not to catch anything. So, so that's, that's, that's a good preface to your question. Then, then I think, um, I think one of the good things about 
I'd like to think of Aspenway as a company is firstly, I think one of the words that would resonate throughout uh, Aspenway is the word intelligence. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah. So, uh, and also I think, um, I'd like to think that we were a family, perhaps. You know, yeah. We have a family type scenario. So, um, for instance, last weekend, and I think, it, I think it was probably Saturday morning, David Shearer's sent me uh, an email. Uh, I think it was along the lines of suggesting that we bought some masks, uh, etc. And and again, you know what I'm like. I sat there and I thought, well, I'm not someone who sort of half does something. So I sat there and I thought, well, I really need to do something about this. So within ten minutes of reading David's email, I composed an email to all the staff, um, basically telling them that Aspenweight you know, was, 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 was a good place to be in this respect. Our eyes were open. We were going to, um, we were going to invest in things like masks, uh, you know, alcohol rubs, uh, stop the use of towels, bring paper towels into the toilets. Uh, and, and, and generally, um, that employees could go to bed at night knowing that we would invest heavily in whatever needed to keep them safe. Yeah. So I think, so I think, um, if nothing else, I proved that we were a caring, proactive employer. I have taken the trouble to exhaust. I can trot out. I've worked out. I've did some my own research, uh, and I've worked out numbers to thousands of percent. Uh, I've done extrapolations uh, and sample sizes of what I think is going to happen here. Because uh, one of the things I think is very interesting as well is, um, as, as just a, an interesting one for, for listeners, is one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is when. You um, let's take someone like Diane Abbott as a good example, or pretty much any Labour politician, actually, for the most part. Okay, um, with the exception of people like Hillary Benn, who, who I have a great deal of respect for. Um, how many times do you see somebody on Sky News, talk radio, being interviewed, and they actually don't know what they're talking about? Oh, I mean, it's an yeah. it's an everyday thing. This you is know? a bugbear. Or even, or even, um, you know, important DJs. You know, so to me, I feel when I when 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 we when I do my show, our show, uh, it's very important to me that the listeners believe that I know what I'm talking about. So I put quite a few, you know, not hours, but I put a lot of time into making sure that if we're talking about coronavirus, I know everything I can know about coronavirus, so I can talk to Ben from a position of intelligence and understanding. You know, if. When it comes to records, uh, I, I, I need to know where the band come from, what their history was, you know, how popular they are, all these sort of things, because I think people people want to know things like that, you know? So I think I think um, it's like a lot of things, isn't it? You know, what's, what's the saying? Prevention is better than cure or something? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the saying is, something like that, isn't it? Um, Anyway, so I think so. I think the thing is, you know, Aspen weight is. Oh, and the other thing, which is, which is, let's move on to the next step. So, it's interesting this because we're talking about the four steps. So I think Aspen weight, probably in itself, has has. Is, I think there's probably uh, three steps Aspen weight's been through. It's a sort of um, head of the game with Darren Horn, then the consultation sharing stage with the email last week to all the staff saying things are going to change, and then. One of the things I did this week off my own back, completely off my own back, was I sent an email out about contingency planning. Um, 
it was interesting, you know, I've talked to quite a few of my friends this week about this. Um, so, you know, while I'm not an alarmist, I, I love my business. And obviously, you know, for instance, I don't want to go bust, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so, you know, I think it would be, so this is, this is probably my biggest gift to you listeners today, this next section of the podcast. Um, so I, I headed up an email, uh, contingency planning, and uh, basically, I was conjecturing about how exactly the coronavirus could negatively impact on aspen weight, you know, and what reasonably these things could be. And then if we could all agree as, as a group what the risks were, how could we in any way mitigate those? How could we give ourselves uh, a better chance of... Uh, you know, if, so if you take a doomsday scenario, which is which I think you have to consider, um, could you could you avoid the doomsday scenario by sensible planning? So uh, it's quite interesting this because again, one of the things I was quite proud about is I made various assumptions, having done some research, and, and when I did some reading, only later in the day um, on the government's website, they used exactly the same percentage as contingency as I had in mind, but it was completely. You know, I, I was completely came to mind off my own, off my own back, so to speak. Um, so it's always heartening, isn't it? You know, when you when you because obviously one of the one of the things that goes, I suppose, with being a leader, if I can use that word, uh, and also probably an entrepreneur, is um, being afraid, being prepared to say things to people that might be wrong. Yeah, you know, say no. You know, I'm, I'm an intelligent person. I've been around. You know, so I I, I came up with the fact that twenty percent was a sensible figure, right? So in my doomsday scenario, what if 20% of the British population um, can't go to work because of coronavirus? You know, that's... So I think, I think that's quite an important memo. And I think if you then think through... And this is, you know, this is quite a big thing, really. You know, I, I'm, I'm... Without being conceited, you know, I'm quite an agile thinker, so I'm probably able to do this very quickly in my mind. Um, but... You know, if I was writing a checklist, which maybe we do, and we could do for, for listeners, if we were doing a checklist of what business owners should consider as a contingency plan for the coronavirus uh, pandemic if it became a problem, then I think you need to consider things like who are your customers, where are they based, um, yeah. uh, who, who are your suppliers, um, how, critical, how critical is timely... Um, timely delivery of certain supplies to you for instance you know um do you have contacts in the worst areas so at the moment those would be places like um i guess north italy korea china uh thailand um trying to think can you think of any others um yeah i think that's um there's about six or seven countries i think iran is one um, yeah iran i was gonna say iran yeah. uh, there's, there's about seven countries i think which are um are, are are not doing too good um so i think you know one needs to go through the whole i suppose the business cycle really um in in all respects and then and then think about what the impact could be so i suppose for instance you now if you if you had a shop then maybe no one comes to your shop because everyone's at home yeah, it could happen. Yeah, well, well think, think what happens. You, you're selling shoes. You're a shoe seller, and nobody comes in your shop. Yeah, you know, you think about the impact of that. You know, so I think I think for someone in that position, not to do some contingency planning, to think about 
what they would do in that scenario um, would be would be very very um, I don't know what the word is uh, not good practice shall we say so uh, in, in 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 our case my considered this is my opinion the the, the worst fear scenario for aspen weight is twenty percent of the population um, are in self isolation. Um, if you then think about our major earner, not our sole earner, so our, I don't know, seventy percent plus of our income comes from RD tax credits, and that process is totally reliant on the government, isn't it? Yeah. Now, without being rude to any um, public service workers who may be listening to this podcast, um, with all due respect, the, the chances of um, a, a civil servant coming in to work voluntarily uh, and say one of Aspen Wake's staff are not the same. You know, someone like Ross Curry, you and me, uh, probably coming into work even though we feel crap, <laughs> we probably would. Yeah. Uh, I suspect that uh, more civil servant type people, if, if, if for instance, you know, there, there's any opportunity whatsoever not to come to work, I suspect they would take it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. So, you know, I think I think this is quite a reasonable fear. So if you take, you know, um, I don't know how realistic this is, and maybe we'll talk about this later. So, you know, if we take my scenario that 20% of all people aren't at work, that means that HMRC, and it may be worse then because, you know, it, it may be that that's the average, but civil servants is not 20%. So maybe in the R&D departments, uh, more than 20% of their staff aren't there. One of the things that we saw last year, for instance, was uh, the inland revenue are supposed to process R&D claims within 35 days, effectively. It was actually 28 days and then seven days are allowed for um, credit checks and the process of paying. And at one point, I think, I think it nearly got up to 120 days. That's how far behind they got. So if you think about the impact uh, on us and, 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 and also many clients. Um, you know, that is, so in effect, I think there were, we had, I think we had a situation where in one quarter, our cash bankings were the same as a normal month. So what we banked in three months was what we normally would have banked in one month. Yeah. That's, that's how, how big an impact, and this is pre-coronavirus. Yeah. Right? This was, this was inland revenue failing to cope with staff shortages. And we won't, it's not the show, the show today isn't to discuss why they had staff shortages, but they had staff shortages. Uh, there have been issues with the revenue uh, similarly uh, before. Um, so by September of last year, from March to September last year, we went from 35 days to 120 days. The only good thing about this, although you know, I think, I think it was too slow, um, by September, somebody in authority had decided to do something about it. So uh, they then introduced procedures. I would imagine that what happened for, for two or three months is the vast majority of claims just got paid out, yeah. you know, regardless. Which I think, to be honest, is, a just, is, a, is, a, is actually a very sensible thing to do. So what actually happened is probably uh, the period leading up to Christmas, for instance, was probably singly the best time to ever file an R&D claim in history, you know. Now, given that I know that's already happened, uh, I, I think that my contingency memo was actually quite reasonable. 
you know, if the revenue are capable of getting so far behind in in a normal scenario, um, what's going to happen when you get a pandemic? You know, so so I think the answer is one of great worry actually, because to some extent, the 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 extent of my fear. Um, how far that goes in some respects depends on what the government does, doesn't it? So, for instance, if if someone if someone which you would like to think is happening, so if someone inside HMRC is actually doing the flip of what I'm doing and say, well, what if what if half of our R and D centres are down? You know, yeah. we've already we we already are struggling. So they're already under resourced. Which you'd hope they were doing, like you say, you hope they're doing it already. What are we going to do? And you'd like to think that they would say, right, you know, if necessary, rather than cause hardship. And let's be honest, you know, if, if you if you if you think all this through, so let's imagine a scenario now. Uh, let's say, I don't, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see whether you think this is reasonable. Let's imagine a world in three months' time, a UK world, half the people stay at home all, nearly all day, right? Just imagine that, right? 50% of all the people in the UK don't go out. Uh, you go in the gym. It was interesting yesterday. I went to the gym yesterday. I don't know whether it might have just been the time of day, but uh, I reckon there were seven people there. Yeah. Something like that. I've been in that gym, admittedly, you know, at different times. But you could go in that gym and there would be between 50 and 100 people there at any time. Yesterday there were seven, you know. Uh, I suspect, although I don't know, that... Part, uh, there will be people beyond all doubt who are not going out. Uh, you go in the supermarkets, you know, they're selling out of toilet rolls, you know, things like that. Yeah. Of course, that then comes on to a different thing we need to talk about today about irresponsibility. I was just going to say that word to you <laughs> and steer the, the conversation <laughs> there. I mean, let's, we will link this uh, to, to business. We are linking this to planning if, you're, if you've got a business. But I mean, first of all, irresponsibility as far as and it'd be interesting to get your your view on this looking back on it now when this happened in december in china have we been too slow have we been irresponsible should we have stopped flight should we have said right we need to deal with this right now and we didn't what would you have done differently if you were in charge in december hard Uh, one tough one (laughs) of course it's a tough one i mean you know um you know again you know uh sometimes when um when you ask me questions, you know, one's very tempted to trot out cliches, you know. I mean, you know, so the obvious cliche there is uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, uh, so I think anybody with knowledge, I think, I think it would be true to say that if you knew what you knew today, you would have done things which the government, for instance, didn't do. Uh, against that, and this is, this is the debate for me, um, I'm fortitudinous, quite brave, positive sort of person myself. Um, that isn't the same thing as being a stupid man, though. So, for instance, when it comes to Emily, for instance, um, you know, I've already demonstrated, probably even almost subconsciously, almost on a primeval level, uh, that I want to protect my my new little member of the Wake family when, when it's born in the next few hours, you know. Um, so I, I suppose one, one of the things that is always true to say, one of my favourite sayings is two is better than none. 
Yeah. So it's always better to do too much than not enough. So I think um, it's interesting as well, isn't it? So if you look at um, uh, a lot of stick that Boris Johnson's been getting from Labour in particular over the last two weeks, he start, they've started calling him the part-time Prime Minister, haven't they? Yeah, I yeah. saw that Jeremy yeah. Corbyn jibe. Well, no, it's not just him, but uh, I've seen several Labour people call Boris Johnson the part-time Prime Minister. Even people like... Um, What's his bloody name? Um, Piers Morgan, who I, who I greatly respect, other than he talks too much. Um, but if you take Piers Morgan, a man on the whole I greatly respect, um, you know, I think quite rightly, you know, he's been on Good Morning Britain um, very much saying, you know, that in contrast with Trump, for instance, who, who is not a soft, cuddly, fluffy person by any means, is he? Trump has been much more visible than, than, than uh, Johnson has. Um, I think the first Cobra meeting, which is the you know the UK's sort of uh, considered response unit at the highest level to an emergency, has only met once, I believe, uh, since the crisis has started. Uh, Johnson himself has been um, quite low level. I think that's quite an interesting debate then, um, because obviously there's a very fine line between, let's call it proaction, and causing hysteria. We've already seen, coming back to the word we were using about um, irresponsibility, quite a few people are already being irresponsible, aren't they? That's a fact. It's not, it's not a... Yeah, and, and I think I was listening to LBC on my way home on Tuesday night from a football game and the it, 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 was, it was a fascinating listen because you had people phoning up saying that you know, they knew more than other people knew. And it's, you know, we've got to buy all these. I've just bought all the tin, a, a trolley full of tin food and I've done this. And then other people coming on saying, look, this is absolute nonsense. It's the flu. Yeah. Um, and it's really, we don't want to give it to people that are vulnerable because it could, but it's the same as normal flu. We're just getting carried away. And it just continued in that cycle. Um, and, and you're sort of weighing it up and you're thinking, well, who's, who's right? And I think that's probably what people are trying to, I, think, I, 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 actually, I actually don't think... Well, from my point of view, I think there, there is clearly is a right here. I mean, I think there is, there is no basis in intellect or fact to support anyone stockpiling cans. No. And, and I got... Can I, can I lend you my theory on this mm -hmm. so that you can tell me what you think? Now, my theory on this is simple. If you are one of those people that are stockpiling tins or toilet roll, or let, let's just go with food. Let's say food for now. So you're stockpiling all the food that you can possibly have because you think that if the doomsday scenario comes, you're going to be left with a shed full of food and you're going to turn around to your family and say, do you know what? We're OK. All the shops have closed. It's like it's like an um, apocalypse out there doomsday scenario we've got all this food we're okay you won't be okay because what will happen in that if it ever gets so bad that you need that stockpiled food what will happen is vigilantes will be on the streets banging doors down finding houses that have food so, so if it ever gets that bad paul mm. that's my theory is if you ever if you said to me i need a seller that is full of food because the shops will close for four months and people literally will have no food people will be on the streets knocking doors down. That's my theory. Well, I don't know where we're going to go with this um, <laughs> episode today because one could extrapolate. I mean, you know, I mean... I'm backing up your point, by the way, just to say, yeah, it's completely irresponsible. No, no, no I, I think it's an interesting point. I think, um, 
I think what we should be talking about today is sensible stuff like, you know, um, what, you know, let's looking at worst case scenarios, not looking at ridiculous scenarios. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I, you know, whether this is a a bit of a silly thing to say, but this is what I've genuinely been thinking this week. So is it, is it, is it, is it, I'll ask you this question, right? So you're an intelligent man, right? So do you think, given a, a reasonable worst case scenario, okay, that let's say in three months' time, there's any danger or likelihood that all the fast food outlets in the UK will be closed? No. I would agree with that. So I think the answer is no. So to me, um, I've sat there and I thought, well, I mean, let's be honest, let's come back to this irresponsibility. So I, I was actually hoping you were going to make this point in, when you were t- talking about uh, where you were going with, you know, when you came, out, you came out with a vigilante point, and I was actually hoping you would come, come out with another point, which was um, for every person that takes two cans instead of one, they're taking that can away from somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you, if you just, I know it's a bit of a simple thing to say, but that's, that's true. So if you've got 10 toilet rolls, that means somebody else isn't wiping the toilet, there isn't wiping the bottom at all. So what you're actually doing is you're demonstrating a lack of community spirit, a very selfish, I don't give a monkey's ass about anybody else, I'm going to look after myself. So actually, uh, those people are actually doing... So, so for instance, if you're a, a partially disabled 75-year-old widower going into Asda, and you can't buy any toilet rolls, what do you do? Tell me, what would you do? What do you do then? Well, you're not going to have a very nice um, visit to the toilet, are you? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite serious, isn't it? You yeah. know, there, no, there are no toilet roll stocks left, and I believe this is, this is not, this has already happened. I, I, yeah. So just on the toilet roll thing, I went the other night to do the shopping as I do every week, and there were no toilet rolls, so I had to order them online. But you, to your point, actually, another, another good one is... Um, so we went in and there was no paracetamol left, so no drugs. So, that, so drugs are the next thing that have, have, have been uh, going. What about if somebody needs those on a regular basis, has migraines and things? You're going to suffer. Well, that's, yeah, so, yeah, so again, so if you think, you know, I'm not sure if we're going slightly off tack here, but so if you think about um, things that could be done to stop that, I would suggest that supermarkets need to self-regulate, you know, self-certify, so they need to do things like... Um, not allow you to buy one more than one toilet roll, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do they care, though? And that's a genuine question. Do the supermarkets care? Are they getting the money? Well, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm, take, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting they do, but I'm saying they must. They should, yeah. I mean, what we're, what we're going from through now, if you think about it, is let's go back to the original question to me, right? Um, you know, one of the reasons that you and I are doing a podcast in the first place is because... You know, if you think about the makeup of Ben Eltham and Paul Waite as individuals, you know, I mean, so for instance, this week, um, if you take uh, a wonderful morning I had in Greater Torrington, so good morning to anyone listening in Greater Torrington. Um, not, I used to work with a lad in Ernst and Young called Nick from Greater Torrington. Um, so it's not a place I've been to for many, many years um, in deepest North Devon, um, and uh, you know, I had a had a. Um, a wonderful meeting there, and uh, I met I met some people for the first time who had a lot of a lot of very real issues that I can deal with, and I've said to people um, ever since 
that meeting that that whole meeting is sort of sums up why I get up in the morning. Um, I love to meet new people, get inside their heads, work out what makes them, what they're trying to do, what what their what their what their fears are, what excites them, and what their challenges are, and and then how how I can help them. Uh, so, you know, you and I are very people driven, community spirited people, um, and the reason we're having this debate is because if we can stop one person buying two cans today. And you and I have made a contribution to society, you know. So what needs to happen is, you know, one of the problems I have with people like Greta Thunberg, for instance, um, is not that she doesn't care about what's happening, is she 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 talks hyperbolic rubbish. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the press this week about the lack of science that, that she uses. And, and I think that while clearly her intention is highly honourable and commendable, the way she goes about it is counterproductive. So I think that if, if people like you and me, Ben, can have intelligent and, you know, not high level, you know, reasons, people in the pub type conversations that we're having here, hmm. um, and, we can, and we can influence the behaviour of other people, then that has to be a good thing. So... Let's, 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 let's be honest about this. The answer to your question is, no, they probably don't. You know, most businesses don't give a monkey's flying whatever about anything much other than making a profit, you know? Um, so that is... And I suppose if you think it through, um, I hadn't really thought about this before. So if, if you then think... Not, if you think on through what should be happening when it comes to toilet rolls, is toilet roll manufacturers should be ramping up their production. Should they yeah. not? They should be, yeah, and they probably are. So it it should be, in theory, anybody making uh, cans, toilet rolls, pharmaceuticals should be having a record period of trading. Um, but what needs to happen, and people, and, and the government needs to lead this. It's like anything, isn't it? You know, in in my opinion, um, Aspen Weight will have the best chance of surviving successfully through the coronavirus pandemic if there is strong direction from the top, which I am giving. Yeah. So if you then give the analogy into society, who is me? Well, it's Boris, isn't it? It so is. Boris, yeah. Boris Johnson is the leader of our people. So Boris Johnson needs to be turning around and saying, hey, supermarkets, you can't allow your shelves to run empty. How are we going to help you? How can we help you not do that? How can we help you give your customers a good service so if you think about it, you know, there are a number of things that need to happen, isn't there? So you need things like better education. People need to be better informed so they make better decisions. Um, they need to understand the impact on others of their selfishness. Uh, we, need, we, need to, um, address, we need to look, we need to have probably a, a working committee in the government, maybe cross-party political, um, that looks at uh, critical supplies. Uh, and ways that uh, at, at the highest level we can free up resource to make sure that we don't run out of... So you don't have this horrible scenario of this poor old man going into Asda and not being able to wipe his bottom, you know, which is not even remotely funny, is it? It's it's actually... Um, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons, you know, without getting too deep about this, one of the reasons why I've always supported cancer charities nearly all of my life, and I've, you know, cycled thousands of miles in the pursuit of that, is because... I think 
self-respect and dignity is incredibly important to human beings. And I think that, you know, for instance, you know, if you can, you know, the fact is that people die. Um, it's regrettable, but they do. So if you can create a scenario, this is the scenario I always use, you know, I'd like to think that if I was going to die tomorrow and I wanted to have a glass of whiskey today, I could. Yeah. And, and, and if someone does something to allow me to do that, that's a good thing. Absolutely. So I don't want that old man to walk in the supermarket and not buy his toilet roll, you know? And I think when you, you've, you've said there about informing people, if we can do a little bit to inform people, to educate people at a real level, and that is actually what our new radio venture is all about, a real level, to bringing business and bringing education, life, enjoyment at a real level. And one of the points I would make to, to anybody out there listening to this that's thinking, well, you know, hear this here and I hear this here, social media, don't, don't go on it to get your information on coronavirus. <laughs> Another one would be, don't read the papers to get your information on coronavirus. And I'll back my point up here. I was, I was going to give you the name of that video uh, for anybody listening that wanted to watch it. it I typed in coronavirus on uh, YouTube. One of the first things that comes up is watch again Chris Whitty, the professor in charge of the NHS, of, of medicine, of, of leading our, the UK's, um, you know, leading the UK's project on this. Chris Whitty answers coronavirus questions, uh, coronavirus questions from MPs. It's an hour and 41 minutes long. It's 45,000 views. That is an excellent video that gives you everything that you'd need to know. You'd come out of that feeling well-educated and thinking, actually, I know what the, the problems are, concerns, how it's going to play out, what they know at the moment. And it's informative and it's from the source. It's a primary source. Ne next video down, Britain hit by surge in coronavirus cases, Sky News, 947,000 views. Now, I haven't clicked on that video, but I guarantee you that is not going to give you anywhere near the right information <laughs> as the one above it. And I think that is a that almost comes to the core of what we're trying to do here, because media and the media is coming for a lot of criticism over this uh, coronavirus. And, and the fact that what you're talking about, the irresponsibility, the media is coming in for a lot of criticism in the in the right places, like on LBC, where they're having these debates. And, and I think that's, that, that is a problem. The media is a massive problem in the world, the internet and the media. And, and I think that just, just a little part, of, and we're not saying we're going to right all the wrongs in the world, but a little part of our um, that intrinsic values that Paul and I have of why we're, we're starting this is that we want to give the right information. Interesting to get your thoughts on the media, though, and, and the part they're playing. Well, I don't know what, can, what, what one can safely say about that. I mean... Um... They're irresponsible. We live, um, we live in a, 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 an age where, I suppose, it's never been easier to communicate in theory. Um, and, but that in itself is a wonderful thing and it's also a curse. If you look at um, Caroline Flack, for instance, you know, uh, someone I didn't really know, I obviously didn't know as a person, uh, you know, I, I, I've never watched Love Island in my, in my life, nor would I want to, but I did, for instance, uh, very much enjoy watching her dance on Strictly Come Dancing the year she won, and I thought she was a, a very sensitive, graceful lady uh, with wonderful natural rhythm, for instance, you know. Um, and if you actually sort of cold-bloodedly look at her as, a, as an individual, uh, which is also a very tragic situation... 
the system that made her destroyed her, didn't it? Yeah. And that and that and that is that, that that's this is, this is my analogy about your question about the media. So the fact is, you know, if you look at our own company, for instance, or even what we're doing now, right? We wouldn't have been able to do this in 1940. No. In 1940, nobody would have sat there doing a podcast. Um, so we, we now potentially, Ben and Paul, can sit there and potentially talk to billions of people, you know, as a theory. There's no, no reason. It's, it's only our lack of talent or, 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 or uh, you know, um, getting the message out to enough people that, that stops that. In theory, an unlimited number of people can listen to us. Um, we have clients literally all over Great Britain and, to some extent, all over the world. I would suggest that without uh, modern technology, let's call it that, modern communication, that wouldn't be possible to the level that it is. So the media is, um, is a very, very convenient, isn't it? A very convenient, accessible forum um, to to learn, well, learn maybe the wrong word to use, given what you've said, but to, to understand, to gain information, to gain news, uh, and also should be a forum for constructive debate. Unfortunately, um, you know, this is, if you look at this in politics as well. So if you looked at um, the, the last election, for instance, you know, one, one of the things that probably almost certainly happened there, if you were looking at it, is... The quiet people won. The people who don't make a big song and dance, they actually, enough of those people got together and they said, but if you take uh, the fanatical people more, let's say, you know, uh, the Marxist wing of the Labour Party in particular, these people are hugely opinionated. So you look on, you look at, um, you know, people on the media, you've got people like Rachel Shabby, uh, Faisal, whatever her name is, um, uh, who's on there all the time, uh, Owen Jones, these type people, right? Uh, these people are massively opinionated at just about anything. Uh, one of the things that I found this week, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's, my brain's waking up to your question. Uh, one of the things I found incredibly disappointing, I watched um, uh, uh, a, a programme on Sky News, on YouTube, actually, uh, two days ago, uh, I'm a great fan of Tom Harwood. He's a brilliant young man. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he, he, uh, I really got a huge amount of time for him. Talks really, really well. Uh, and, 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 and they put Foyz or whatever his name is up against him. And I sat there and I actually said aloud, watching it, please don't use this as an excuse to create a party political statement. And that's exactly what she did. So instead of a considered discussion about coronavirus in a way to help society, all she did was talk about the part-time prime minister, the lack of this, the lack of that. And I just sat there thinking, this is just, this is, you do not get it, woman. This is not, this is not uh, how somebody in your position should be behaving, right? Now, there's a difference between, it's a very thin line so, you know, go back to your question, should we have done more? Which I don't suppose I've properly answered, did I? Um, I, I? I think that, as I said, I think there's a very thin line between uh, proaction and doing more than enough to create a situation of panic and hysteria. And I think it's a very thin line. And at the moment, right, let's, let's not be too optimistic about this, you know, 
See, one of the things one of the things I think is very interesting. So you know, we, we clearly we've already. Put, I, I think this is the most enjoyable podcast we've ever done. Actually, I feel. I think it is. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, it's not perhaps something that people would normally say on a on a show, but uh, one of the things I, I was very conscious of a few minutes ago is I think that the humanity of our firm comes over in debates like this. You know, there's, there's actually uh, the fact that we do care and. Um, but I think so. I, I do want to share the research I've done with you and, and, and the numbers I've bashed out. So I've worked out, um, and, and I can give you the exact number, which is 0.000286 something something, right? So uh, I've worked out that um, roughly uh, in China, for instance, that less than three one thousandths of one percent of the population have have contracted coronavirus. That's that's the truth. Yeah. Okay. So um, we now have um, pretty accurate data which shows that if you contract coronavirus, just over 3% of people will die. Okay? Even more revealing than that, 51% of people, again, these are, these are numbers which are, I think are pretty accurate, so I try not to say things which are, um, you know, in any way subjective. So the basis of the research and the reading I've done, 51% of people contracting the virus are men and 49% are women. So you have a slightly bigger chance of contracting the virus if you're a man than a woman. Not a lot, but just, you know, yeah. it's interesting, 51, 49. Um, and then if you go into age groups, um, something like, I think the average age of people who contract it is over 60, certainly, and maybe 72. Um, if you're under 30, the chances of you contracting it in the first place are, so if we said that three in one, three in one thousand of one percent is 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 the run rate, then for somebody under thirty, you can times that by ten. Yeah. Right? So the chances and the chances if you then go into people lower than ten, there's only something less than ten people in the whole world or something, less than ten years old. There has been a case this week, interestingly, of a fetus. Uh, being proven to have contracted it from the pregnant mother. So the baby was born with the symptoms of coronavirus. Yeah. Just say that for a second, because some of, some of you, uh, people like David Shears will find that, he probably already knows actually, but um, I happen to have read that, so it's quite an interesting thing. So there has been a case of a pregnant mother passing on, uh, which, is, which is interesting considering the incredibly low um, rate um, of young people picking it up. So on the whole, um, I think we need to put this into perspective. Uh, I've worked out, based on those maths, that something like, if you said to me to make a prediction today, right, uh, something like 180 people in the UK will die. If my maths are correct, okay? Uh, now, as I was saying to a, to a friend recently, you know, uh, that's, that's 180 people too many, but it's not, you know, if you said it was 1,800 people, if I said to you, uh, 1,800 people are going to die in a minute, is that something that's cataclysmic? You probably would say, no, it's not. Yeah, I probably would, would say that, yeah. So, um, you know, 180 people, there's 180 people. You know, let's, get, let's get this into perspective. And again, you know, these, these are, I hope, are facts. So um, one, of the, one of the things about coronavirus is it's, if you do get it, it's something like three times more debilitating than flu. That, that's, that's right, three times. Not 100 times, three yeah. times, okay? But um, 
you are if you had if you had um, so I'm not sure what the right word to use is spores whatever whatever the things are that you can track from whatever so whatever the uh, bacteria or whatever it is in, in the in the atmosphere. So if you went into a public space and you had flu circulating and you had coronavirus, the the flu is five times better at spreading itself than coronavirus is. Really good numbers, I like this. Fact, yeah. yeah. Well, this is what you get from me numbers. So, um, so the fact is, you know, it's in perspective. So it's three times more virulent, but five times less likely to get it than flu. So. Now, let's put this into perspective. You know, we're talking here about something like uh, a scenario in Britain, which is uh, a normal year, but three times worse than a normal flu year. That's actually, that would be a better way of looking at it. Yeah. But as you say about the media, you tell me any paper that says that. Well, this, this, and this is my point from those uh, incredible numbers that you've just given, and hopefully that gives people a, a, a real understanding of what this actually is in numbers. I'll, get, I'll then throw at you the irresponsibility that we were talking about. So let's just look at the papers from this morning. Um, I'm not going to name the papers individually, but um, the point of no return is a headline on one. First death in the UK from coronavirus as toll rises. First death in the UK. First virus death in UK. All massive letters on the front of um, paper. First Brit dies in, you know, coronavirus outbreak. This is absolutely irresponsible. And, and I am so passionate about this. The, the media, the newspapers should be absolutely ashamed of themselves when things like this happen. And that is why people go out and panic buy toilet roll, um, people reading those headlines this morning will go to the shops today and will buy all the tinned food. Okay. And uh, 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 It's irresponsible. So if anyone, and I know that we have a lot of listeners to this podcast, some excellent numbers from Paul just explaining exactly how this actually is and putting it into perspective. Don't read the papers. They're irresponsible. This isn't, uh, this isn't the way they portray it. And I know that this has gone around so much this week, but it, you know, wash really interesting yesterday listening to that video um, when the when the professor was explaining some of the things that have been gone around in the media, which are ex exactly how it, you can contract it. So, for example, it can live on a hard surface for 48 hours. So if you if you've got it and you touch a hard surface, then even if I touch that hard surface, it's not skin to skin contact. So I can't get it. Um, what I can't do is it goes in through the mouth and the nose. So just don't touch my mouth and my nose. Make sure I wash my hands before I touch my face. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you watch hard services. So when you're on the tube and the trains, you can go out and it, 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 you're not going to... If you're in a room with somebody that's got it for a long period of time and the, and the windows aren't open, there is a chance that it's airborne and that you, you will then get it without actually um, putting your hand on your face. But most of the time... It, it, that that's the way. So whenever wherever you go, as long as you're you're washing your hands and you're not putting your hands on your face, the chances are those incredible numbers that you gave. The chances are even more that you're, you're not going to contract this. So why on earth have we got headlines in the newspapers that say this? Well, I think you know. So again, you know, uh, we we don't have a huge amount of time. So I'd like to to pass on some you know the real gold stuff that, uh, that I'd like that I know. So you know, if you take the the person that. Um, and let's just look at this. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of. Um, well, I think a lot of what we're very good at isn't that we're the cleverest people in the world. Is we've got common sense. 
Um, you know, a lot of people have been kind enough to say to me, you've got good old Bridgewater common sense, waiter, you know? Now, if you just look at this, and, and, and when, when I say this to you, I know you're going to pull a face because it's so obvious, right? Nobody, I repeat, nobody, nobody, nobody is not going to get the coronavirus because they buy 10 toilet rolls, okay? Okay, that is not going to save you from getting the coronavirus. What will stop you getting the coronavirus is being massively OCD, washing your hands 100 times a day properly, right? Every time. So, for instance, if you look at... Um, how we should change the way that we behave, okay? So, and, and even I, as a, as a relative dinosaur, and the sort of person who's like, well, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm indestructible, you know, I don't need to do these things. So if you go through uh, the sort of routine someone should now have, right, and I'll, and I'll give you my day yesterday, which, which will be very different to, so, um, so let's, let's take the Greater Torrington Day, and let's just imagine I've gone to the gym as well, just to, just, just, just yeah. to make, make it easy, okay? So get up in the morning. Uh, I, I now vigorously wash my hands, which means I'm much more... Get, you know, because people don't wash their hands properly, which is one of the things that uh, has come out of this. Uh, they don't wash them thoroughly enough, and they don't wash them. And, and, of course, you know, this is a really vulgar thing to say. The number of men who you see in public toilets who don't wash their hands at all, it's Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, let's not go there because on any level, I just sit there. I look at these people. And I think, God, you dirty shit. You know. Um, anyway, um, so uh, you, you get up in the morning, you wash your hands, right? You then let's say you make yourself a piece of toast, have a cup of tea. Um, yeah, you're about to go out the door, wash your hands, dry your hands, get in the car. Um, in this case, I did actually shake the hand of the client in Torrington. Uh, but I was conscious that I did. I thought about it after I did it. Uh, and then sitting at his table before I went, which I wouldn't always do. I mean, it's quite a big drive. So I said, your toilet's next door, isn't it? I go in the toilet, go to the toilet, wash my hands. <laughs> okay. Go back in the car. Um, I, then, I then didn't quite have enough petrol to get home. Stopped in the services near Wellington. Uh, go in there. Very conscious. I now touched a door. I've touched something inside the services before I go straight into Aspen Way, washed my hands. First thing I did. Yeah. Right? I then, I then go to the gym, I train, and then this is something I wouldn't have done. Uh, I then go into the toilet of the gym and I wash my hands. Right? I've now given myself every chance of... If there was somebody in the gym that's touched something, I've no longer got it because I've washed my hands. So what my point is to you irresponsible, selfish people that think it's clever to buy 100 toilet rolls is wash your hands 100 times instead. Save a lot of money and you'd be bloody clean, right? So, you know, these are the sort of things that people should be doing, right? And even if they're shaking hands... No one is going to catch the coronavirus from shaking someone's hand if you then practice good hygiene afterwards. What's really funny about, I'm just going to say this now, I think it's a good point. What's really funny about this and listening to your day yesterday, and I have to, I have to admit this now, is that th that's my life for the last 15 years. I've got real OCD with germs. If anybody's ever seen, uh, there's a comedy, it was called The Big Bang Theory. Uh, a character's called Sheldon. That, that, that is me. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. I every time I I don't I don't like um, shaking people's hands, and often when I'm out with my 
girlfriend will go out somewhere and someone will go to some friends or something and they'll shake my hands and, uh, and she'll look at me and I'll be like, why do they have to shake my, I don't want your germs. And I'll go and wash them straight away. And I'll use, um, I've used um, sanitizer for my whole life. I have four bottles regularly in my coat, two in my car. At the moment, it's causing me a problem because I use it all the time. And there's none in the shops. Um, so it's just funny listening to you how uh, most people aren't like it. I'm very OCD, so this is very my thing anyway, um, which hopefully gives me less chance. Yeah, exactly. But one tip that I will give is um, if you can't get hand sanitizer um, or even soaps, that we've talked about the selfishness of some people. They're running out in the shops. I bought baby wipes yesterday, which 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 is. A, a, a different alternative so um, they're still in the shops there's a little tip for you I would, I would, I would like to say something on that point um, and, and you may have um, so I believe this to be scientifically correct it has been um, it has been proven scientifically that actually um, the, the best way to protect yourself against germs generally is to wash your hands conventionally not to use yeah. the um, the uh, the alcoholic based and that is and actually I, was, I actually saw a program with a clinical study on this um the the um the sort of the alcohol i don't know what we'll call it you know the you know what i mean the the yeah the, yeah. The, what they actually do is while they destroy all the germ they actually destroy good stuff as well uh and actually what happens is you get um, you can in that scenario uh get um more virulent sort of superbugs created off the back of that so actually, it has been proven scientifically, there is no substitute for good old-fashioned hot water and soap. Yeah, I would say that for me, hand sanitizer is just a, a really worst-case scenario if I've touched something and I can't get to water or soap. And I think, well, actually, yeah, I'll put some hand sanitizer on. But you're, you're right, water, hot water, soap. I mean, it's interesting, this. I mean, I, you know, I think one would like to think, and I'm not sure there is an answer to this, one would like to think that... Um, we could we could predict what is likely to happen, you know, a reasonable way down the road. One thing which appears to be the case is that it will take at least twelve months for there to be a vaccine. Yeah, twelve to eighteen months seems to be the considered expert opinion, um, which is you know quite a scary thing. But you know, again, going back to my numbers, and I'm sorry, you know, I am a bit number geeky but I think it's important because I think you need one of the things I was talking about to my new clients on Wednesday is what I call the context of worrying out of context it's a silly you know worrying in and out of context if you are allowed to worry out of context what does that mean you're a business owner you're not given the information you need to to to, to, to understand yeah so I was saying for instance I often say this um Asper Wake went through a period where it was over borrowed uh, I had uh, quite a paranoid sort of uh, histrionic financial controller who effectively gave me misinformation. You know, so she relayed a doomsday scenario which didn't really exist, right? A considered view, given the right information, was a positive one, but with it was a positive one with some negatives, if that makes sense. Do you see yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's very important that you worry in context. So the fact is, you know, this is a serious thing. Um, we've seen already, you know, the impact it has. So, you know, from my own selfish point of view, um, last night they cancelled the England-Italy rugby match next week. 
Uh, I think it's very unlikely the Grand National will take place this year, personally. Yeah. Very unlikely, I'd say. Less than, I'd put it, 30% chance. Because they were worried about Cheltenham, weren't they? Uh, Cheltenham's going to happen. Cheltenham, at the moment, the bookies think it's... um, Something like two to one on Cheltenham's going to happen. Just, to, just to let you know. Yeah. Can you believe this? This is the other thing. This is this is a this is neo media, isn't it? So the bookies have odds on things like whether an event's going to happen or not because of the coronavirus. You can actually bet. I'll have hundred quid on the fact that Royal Ascot's not going to happen, mate. It's you know? crazy. No, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, but there does seem to be some sort of moral issue there. Um, so I think at the moment. It seems to me highly unlikely that the Grand National will take place. Highly, unna- like, un- highly unlikely that Royal Ascot will take place, for instance. Um, so you know it, it has an effect. But on the on the on the basis of all the evidence, um, I think 180 people will die. If it, if there were a thousand, I would be very very surprised. So uh, I, I will gladly eat humble pie. I hope I don't have to in a future uh, podcast. Now, I think what's quite interesting, is, and, and, and you probably may be more clued up than me on this, when would you say, Ben, that China reported coronavirus? How long ago would you say that was? Oh, it was even November or December, wasn't it? So let's, let's say it was middle of November, shall we? Just yeah, for I think it purposes was. purposes of this podcast. So that is just over three and a half months ago. Yeah, three and a half months. So on the basis of what you know... Have the number of cases in China risen or fallen? They're falling now. Well, that's, that's, thank you for that. Yeah. So, so what does that tell you? Well, it tells us that it's gonna, it's not gonna be quite as well. It's not. It's gonna, it's gonna have a peak and then it's gonna fall. And after a few months, we we should be okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, th- I think that's good enough, isn't it? I think yeah. you yeah. know we, we we're trying to keep this simple today because we don't know. We're not, you know, we're not trying to be the cleverest people in the world. Yeah. So I think you know what 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 I'm very good at is taking real facts. You can then apply you know sensitivity analysis to them and say, well, let's assume things are two times worse. Yeah. What if they were ten times worse? You know, what is what if if we take the given facts? What if they were ten times worse? What does that look like? So in my scenario, ten times worse means that eighteen hundred people died, isn't it? Yeah. That's if it. I'm ten yeah. times wrong, if I'm ten times wrong, then my 180 people becomes 1,800 people. But still, it's not 18 million people. You know, if you think about going back to your point about the papers, you would think that 18 million people were going to die, wouldn't you? You would. Yeah. But we're not talking about 18 million people die. We're talking about a situation which is, and the thing is, uh, I'd be very, very interested, and, and no one's done this yet, so based on my knowledge. So I think I'm right in saying that. Uh, China flu killed more people in the world than World War One. Did you know that? I didn't know. I didn't know that. So um, this, this, I think I, again. So you might want to, people listening to this might want to check the facts because I'm, uh, I haven't done my research on this. I'm relying on memory. But to the best of my knowledge, Chinese flu uh, hit the world somewhere around the year 1920. You know that sort of year, and many millions of people across the world died. Many millions. So it'd be very interesting to talk to someone uh, if there was such a person. I know that, did you know, I saw this, the oldest person in the world is British. Did you know that? I didn't know. That's yeah. another one I've learned today. Yeah, 111 yesterday was. Wow. I think, I think that's what you're saying. So yeah. the oldest person in the world is a British person and there are 111. So that means that uh, that person was born in uh, 1909, perhaps, or 1908. Um, so this person would have been 10 to 12, if I'm right, in my dates. Yeah. 
be very, very, very interesting to uh, to talk to someone who was alive during that age of China flu to contrast attitudes to today. And I would suggest to you, which probably is a very good way of dealing with your point, actually, there was no social media in 1920. We had newspapers, didn't have computers, didn't really have, well, I suppose we had some radio, didn't have television. Um, and pretty much uh, information travelled very, very slowly. Uh, so I would suggest that because of the lack of technology, there was no hysteria, yeah. because there was no one to whip up the hysteria. But you, you, and, and then the thing is, you know, it sounds like I'm preaching here, but you could use, and it is used at some points to, for good, but you could use the newspapers, the media, the fact that we've got Twitter and Facebook and all these things could be used so well in circumstances like this. And one of the things, well, we, we go, we're going to go in a circle here and go off into politics. We're not because we're almost going to finish the podcast. But obviously the media aren't regulated. The media aren't held accountable because uh, of influential people like the likes of Rupert Murdoch who have um, politicians in his back pocket. But we can put, I think we can just say, put, put the media uh, with, the, um, with the bookies who are also irresponsible. Let's throw the um, estate agents in there as well. And the bookies <laughs> is probably more profiteering. Yes, it is, yeah. That's but, probably what you do. But I, I think we've made some really excellent points and hopefully helped to establish some key facts um, and, and, and some r- the real points uh, about this and put it in a way that everyone can understand. Don't, don't sensationalise by reading the papers, no need to buy the tin food or the toilet paper. And um, I think, again, Chris Whitty answers coronavirus questions from MPs on YouTube. Watch that video. It's absolutely fantastic. Maybe not as good as Paul's facts, but it is really good. Yeah, I think the key word uh, for me to finish on is, um, is just to adapt. Um, it's what any, any good business or any good person should do anyway. You should always be evolving and adapting. Just to adapt your culture uh, to, to cope with what you know. Um, the fact is, you know, one of the things I said this several times this week, you know, life, life is unfair, life can be cruel. Uh, there will be people who practice the best possible hygiene uh, who will be unlucky. There will be that. The thing is, when you, when, you, when you give statistics, it's very easy, even I, as someone who lives in numbers, you know, and I'm very comfortable with 0.000286%, you know, um, and, and, and I can tell you that means 180 people dying in the UK. If you're one of the 180 people, it's not really a lot of consolation, is it? No. For the, for the 60 million, 931,633 or whatever that didn't die, that's a great number. But if you're one of the 180, then, then you died, haven't you? Yeah. So I think one always has to bear that in mind. So, you know, what, what, we're, what we're talking about here is, and I think this is how my view, Paul Wake thinks everyone should live their life. You should wake up every day and make it the best day you can and do what you think is reasonable based on what you know at that time. That doesn't mean to say that you could be on your bicycle and you might get run over by somebody because you can't control everything. All you can do is control yourself. Yeah, I, I, it, it always makes me think about that, um, the point about flying. Obviously, one of the, probably the most common fear in the world is, is flying. And, and that fact that you're more likely to die of a heart attack on the plane than you are that the plane's going to crash, which is... Which or die in a car on the way to the plane. Yeah, yeah, which is absolutely minimal anyway. So the fact that you're less likely... But again, to... somebody does die, that's the point. Yeah. It's... That's, 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 that's perhaps over deep. Anyway, so um, this, week, uh, this week's um, 
group of the week, whatever we call them, is, is, is the Temples, uh, an English band from, uh, I think, I don't know whether to call them the, the sort of south-north uh, or the North Midlands, or so is, is that sort of area. Um, the Temples are um, uh, a very interesting band, actually. Um, probably not uh, a household name, although um, probably known to, uh, to people who really like their music. Not, not, not an unsuccessful band. I think um, I've, I've, I've had um, a couple of their records on uh, a CD that I've had made for me uh, uh, by my wife um, a couple of Christmases ago, which was a tremendous gift, actually. Um, like 200 great tracks put onto, a, onto my own um, memory stick or whatever, you know, and uh, keep it in the card. It's just some really good stuff. A lot, lot of stuff I've been playing recently, you know, those sort of bands, Fleet Foxes, uh, Temples, yeah. as we say. And um, I think what's interesting about the Temples is, is they're, um, they're clearly very 60s influenced. You'll see when you listen to this this song. And if you if you listen to more of their stuff, I think where you get people um, like the Dandy Warhols, uh, David Bowie, uh, would be very good examples of of uh, Kate Bush uh, would be another great example uh, artists who uh, I have enormous respect for because they they seem to be continuously reinventing themselves. So uh, you know you, you look at Wuthering Heights, it doesn't sound anything like Sense Your World. Rubber Band Girl doesn't sound anything like Red Shoes. You know, take talking like Kate Bush. You know, Kate Bush is just pioneering and inventing and coming up with this wonderful stuff. Whereas the temples, in contrast, uh, while they are <coughs> incredibly um, jingly, jangly, psychedelic, I would say, very 60s-based, um, interesting, you know, I've talked to Drew. Drew says he he thinks of Kula Shaker when he listens to um, temples, which I think is quite a good quite a good analogy. Yeah. They do, they are, if you do take, you know, you'll enjoy this, if you want to spend you know half an hour listening to a few temples tracks, you'll see there is a definite cake mix. You know, while the, the, the cake may be an almond cake or a lemon cake, there is nonetheless some element of formula going here. So what's really nice about this track we're playing out with today is, um, and I'd be interested in, in, in listeners' opinions on this, um, the record when it starts, and this goes on for quite a long time, probably more than a minute, um, it, it doesn't sound like the record it becomes. So it, it starts off and then um, it sort of builds into uh, the main theme of the song, which is the one you sing. Like if you're walking around singing this yeah. song to yourself, you don't sing the first bit. But actually it takes, I, I actually bothered, it takes 80 seconds or so to get from the, the, the start which is so it's almost like it's a song within a song. Yeah. So um so I say so the record this week is the temples and um I, I hope you really like it. I think I think it's a it's a really, really uplifting and uh jingly jangly song. So uh and I've got to put on my Barry White white voice because uh, Ben will only do that to me in a minute. So this week's song is from the temples. Enjoy. Well, that's, that was a really nice voice that was. I liked it. Um <laughs> Do let us know if you've got any questions on the podcast today, podcast at aspen-weight.co.uk to get in touch. And of course, tell someone about our podcast, please share it and um, just do it one more time for me, Paul. Which bit? This is... I am not Barry White. This is The Temples playing out today on Aspen Weight podcast. Not quite Aspen Weight, but yet. Yeah. 
Eyes with wandering eyes Drawn to the beauty left to live in 